0: This is real Bearings. I'm Dan Raw from Forbes.
1: I'm Sam Abual samit from Navigant Research.
2: And I'm Rebecca linland from Rebecca Drives.
0: And all three of us are also now from uh car review tweets. Yes. Uh, that's right. Twitter car reviews. And Rebecca, I know that you have Rebecca Drives, um, which is kind of the same thing, so uh oh Rebecca
1: it, drives is practically verbose compared to car review tweets exactly. that's that's true <laughs>
2: <laughs> It's two hundred words Car review tweets is two hundred and eighty characters. It's awesome yep
0: yeah, it, it's a uh it's a place you can find us I, I set it up, and you know Sam, I know you used it too, but it, the idea is that. It gets that really quick sort of impressions. It's, we, we're you know certainly shooting video and photos and uploading our thoughts on mobile, so it should be something that uh, we keep updated on a pretty regular basis when we when we get cars, when we go to events. Um, yeah, I'll so, be I'll
2: be contributing. I just I've been so slammed the last four weeks, and so I took yesterday and today off.
0: Yeah, well, we'll have to get the W nine and the contract out to you so yes. that we can make sure. <laughs>
2: But no, I'll be using it for sure because it, it plays in really nicely with Rebecca Drives. I mean, it's it's the same it's the same concept of of keeping it short, sweet, emotional, giving you just an idea, just a taste. We don't we don't need one more long form review, in my opinion. But
0: yeah, I, I agree. And it's sort of the idea was, you know, a lot of times I find myself tweeting threads like that anyway, um, yeah. just as we're discussing cars. So you just get that sort of. Uh, it's just a stream of consciousness uh, thing. So anyway, if anybody's wondering about it, uh, if you haven't gone and followed it, you should follow it. It's at TWT car reviews. So twit car reviews and it's called car review tweets and go there and, you know, interact with us. Cause we crave interaction. We're, <laughs> we're writers. We're behind keyboards. <laughs> Sam's frozen in his dungeon right now. Um, so, why don't I actually why don't I throw it to you Sam what are you driving or trying to drive or what are you digging out of the snow uh
1: well before it snowed uh, I had the uh, the Volvo XC60 again uh, the T6 uh, which I quite like although' I'm, I'm still waiting on my opportunity to get into the V60 which is that's the Volvo I, I really want is the V I had
0: the V60 yeah I had that a couple weeks ago it was it's nice uh, right. it's cushy and comfortable and looks good.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the XC60 is, is you know, equally cushy and, and comfortable and uh, to my eyes, at least, doesn't look quite as good. Uh, you know, it's taller. I mean, it's it's a crossover version of the the same thing. It's built on that same platform. Um, you know, and, you know, the, the current Volvo design language, I think, you know, looks really awesome. I've, I've liked it in, you know, pretty much everything they've done over the last several years. Yeah. Um, you know, interior. You know, as as we've discussed, you know, ad nauseum on numerous occasions, is you know is a lovely place to spend time. Uh, aside from that whole census UI thing, uh, but yeah, you know, and and we don't need to beat that dead horse again. Uh, but that even you know even that's something that's going to be replaced uh, next year, starting with the uh, the XC40 electric uh, that's coming next year. they uh, Volvo is going to start rolling out uh an all new infotainment system that's built on android automotive um that uh, replaces uh, that replaces the census system and you know gets rid of that whole concept of swiping uh you know between the three screens uh you know it's going to be more more concentrated just on the one central screen i think um the the t six the t six version is the the mid level version um that has the um the supercharged and um, turbocharged four-cylinder, two-liter four-cylinder with 315 horsepower, uh, and you know it's a it's a lovely engine. Um, one of my favorite aspects of the the XC60 is the massaging seats, which I you know I find to be very helpful at times. You know, especially after I've been working in the yard raking up leaves for several hours. <laughs>
0: I uh, like how you can control the passenger seat from Census, so you can surprise people. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> that that say-
1: is that is one upside of you know of having all that stuff embedded in the screen is you can you can do things like that. On the other hand, the passenger can do the same thing to the driver, which yeah,
0: perhaps not yeah, so nice. Yeah, that's true.
2: I will yeah. say, and I'll talk about it more in the next podcast. But I happen to have the XC Forty this week, and. I had to drive out to Pennsylvania, pick something up, and bring it back home. And it was seven hours in the, in the car uh, with basically like a half hour break. And I would have killed for massaging seats at about hour five because <laughs> those seats were getting hard. But that's for next that's, week. Yeah. Well,
0: so that's when you stop and you get some ibuprofen and you chew it <laughs> so that it just. Yeah, hit, that,
2: that's when it, you stop great, and get some.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I. I suffer the, the, you know, to be fair, I think there's, there's not too many cars that you can do that long in the saddle, um, and, and not, uh, have some fatigue, maybe even with massaging. Cause I had, um, we did Manhattan back, uh, in the Cadillac XT6 and even that with its nice seats, uh, after, after a while, you just start to. Start to get sore. You get those pressure points. So
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean it was it was it was surprisingly good. But again, I'll talk about that uh next week. I don't wanna give it away. <laughs> so go on, just, Sam.
0: Tell us. Yeah, more. Sam did it have the crystal shift knob?
1: It did not that's only on the high on the plug in hybrids. So oh, okay. the uh the non hybrid versions uh still retain the this mechanical um shift lever. You know that, that goes back and forth, so it's not even an electronic shifter; it's a, it's a mechanical one did you uh, have, that just did, goes straight forward and back.
2: What do you? How do you feel about that one?
1: Um, compared to the the electronic shifter that's on the plug-in hybrids, I actually prefer it um, hmm. because just because I find it more consistent. Um, you know, for the the electronic ones on the Volvos, you actually have to tap it twice to go from you know to switch like to go from park. To reverse or park to drive, you know you've got it. If you ta- if you tap it only once, it goes to neutral. I know, um, and I don't <laughs> like that.
2: So I, I got to tell ya, but... I when I picked up the Volvo on Friday from LaGuardia, I thought I was going to have to call somebody because I couldn't get it into drive. I was like, <laughs> oh, because <laughs> you were just doing it once. No, I just I didn't know that I needed or... to like move it over. Oh, okay. And it was very annoying, and I have a very funny story that I won't tell right now about Volvo's and me and gear selectors. But I didn't have that same issue in the XC90, though. I do I mean, I do remember tapping well, the, it twice for sure. The, well,
1: the not the non hybrid XC90s again don't have don't have that electronic shifter. They have a mechanical shifter.
2: Okay, so that's why it was so much easier. Yeah,
1: it's it's only the plug in hybrids that that but mine have was that plug in hybrid. Well. Uh, the ninety.
2: Yes, remember because oh, okay. somebody chewed me out yeah. for not mentioning that. So, yeah. <laughs> it it okay. was it was definitely the XC. It was definitely the the plug-in hybrid, but maybe I just got used to it. I mean, I'm used to the XC40 now, but it definitely takes practice.
1: It, it does, and you know, I mean, if you actually owned one and you you know you were driving it for more than a week at a time, you of would course. certainly get you would get accustomed to all this stuff. Um, you know. Being, you know, being a Swedish car, a premium Swedish vehicle, you know, this thing, you know, of course, also has all the the kinds of things that uh, work. You know, would be handy. It would have been handy to have this week. Um, you know, when our when we got our first you know Arctic blast here in Michigan. You know, with uh, as I speak right now, I think the temperature is down to about uh, fourteen or fifteen degrees, and it's supposed to go down to five degrees uh, sometime during the night. We got eight inches of snow yesterday. Um so you know it would have been nice to have the the heated wiper blades with integral washers instead you know instead of uh um what I have right now um but uh this one uh also has the <clears throat> excuse me has the uh um the four corner air suspension so you can lift it and raise it up and lower it down you know so, uh and it it does you know it does give it a a definitely improved uh, ride quality. Um, There's a really nice heads-up display. So, you know, it's overall, you know, Volvos, modern Volvos are just, they're a really wonderful place to spend time, you know, when you've got to get from one place to another. You know, the seats are comfortable. Um, You know, just, I I like everything about it, really.
2: One thing I love is that they have uh, different levels of heat in the seat. Mm And in the steering wheel. And I had to laugh because when I had mine on the high level and I didn't have any gloves on, it was hot. But then, of oh, course, yeah. I realized that, like, if you have gloves on, this is going to be amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, of course, you know, you can also turn them off separately. So once your wheel is nice and warm, you know, you can just switch that off. Yes. Um, they, you know, the, the price point on the, the one I was driving, you know, because it was pretty loaded. It was the inscription model. And, you know, it was just shy of sixty-six thousand uh, dollars delivered, which is, you know, it's it's not that's not, not inexpensive, but, you know, for a premium, you know, for a vehicle in this segment, you know, you compare it to an Audi or BMW or Mercedes, you know, um, it's it's quite competitive and, you know, got decent fuel economy. You know, it's 24 miles per gallon, you know, for a 316 horsepower four wheel drive SUV. It's not bad at all.
0: So here's my sort of issue with the XC60 is that it's it's the mid, sort of like the midsize of their their range. It's just not it's not that roomy, you know. And it's I know what it's supposed to do, and it sort of fills that niche. But really, if you need it for cargo space, you really should buy the XC90. Uh, that's that's
1: probably a valid concern, you know. I guess it depends a lot on you know what you're. Um, what your needs are, you know, I mean, if you've got, you know, a couple of kids that you're hauling around and, and all their, their stuff, you know, that you probably want something a little bigger than this.
0: Yeah. With a trailer yeah. and a roof box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the Put X- the kids but in the trailer
1: right. and you know, all, all the, the other stuff in the roof box and you're good to go.
0: Yeah.
2: You're
1: right in A nice, the
0: kids in the a nice <laughs>
1: serene trip. <laughs>
2: the XC90 holds a lot. But it I think, does. I think the XC60 though is, it's kind of that nice balance between. I mean, it's. I know what it, it's supposed to be between the XC40 and the XC90 because the XC40, it's pretty compact and it's very much of a personal vehicle, and I think the XC60 is that nice transition. It's, it's yeah. I mean, the, know, the for the forties clearly household, couple one kid maybe.
1: Yeah, the the, clear, the the 40 is definitely more, you know, for the urban environment, you know, where you want something that's smaller and easier to park. Right. You know, I think the the is, uh, you know, a really, you know, not not too big, not too small, just just right, you know. Uh, you know, nice balance of, you know, decent size. Um and like I like I said before, you know, personally if I was spending the money, I would go for the V60. I have no I have no no desire to own, you know, a higher up SUV. It's just, it's just not something I like, you know, I will always take the, the station wagon over the SUV if I have an option. Um, but, uh, you know, if you, if you've got to spend some time in a, in a, in a vehicle on the road, you know, this is not a bad place to spend your time.
0: But how does it actually drive though? That's the other thing is, uh, taken on its own. it behaves well enough um i didn't really have a ton of complaints about the v60 for instance but uh compared to its competitive set you know bmw it's, and mercedes it's not,
1: you know it's not it's not a sports sedan or you know it's not a sports car um you know and i think you know compared to a bmw um you know dynamically it's probably not qu- i would say it's not quite as good dynamically um, Although, but like
0: some of the latest BMWs are not quite as good either. That's, you know,
1: like, that's true. Um, um, you know, but you know, the, the steering is precise, if not necessarily, you know, providing a whole lot of feedback. Um, you know, it, everything generally feels, feels good. You know, it feels like you're in control. Um, you know, the, the all wheel drive system, you know, definitely, um, you know, it helps in in low traction conditions, you know, when it's raining, you know, when you get some heavy rain, it it definitely comes in handy. Um, you know, we did actually get a little bit of snow last week, you know, the we got our first snow snowfall um on the last day I had this last week and, you know, it you know, it was de- definitely nice to have a little all-wheel drive to get uh, get warmed up in the first snow of the season, but you know, it's I think that for the the customer that's looking for something like this, you know, they're they're going to be very happy with this.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't argue with that, I suppose. my, But I will. My, <laughs> my, my final gripe with both the XC60 and the XC90 is the way they ride. Um, with the air suspension especially, I just felt like they're... They're not supple enough, you know, but the the v sixty which is on the same platform, didn't seem to have so much of an issue. It was actually pretty good, and the s sixty as well seems to have that balance at least with steel springs, so I don't know whether it's the air suspension or something It just uh, yeah,
1: i when you put it in dynamic mode um you know it's definitely it definitely feels stiffer um you know if you put it in i think it's the comfort mode or uh, yeah it's you comfort. know the yeah. Um, you know, it does soften up. It it's it it is noticeably softer.
2: And there's a yes. noticeable difference between the modes.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, you know? definitely.
2: I think that the thing with Volvo is it's also for just for people who just want something a little bit different and a little bit different aesthetic also. You know, when you think about uh like BMWs and and Audis and Mercedes, they're You know the design aesthetic is just different, and there's and it's not that they're common, but you do see them more. I feel like Volvo is just that little bit of different mindset for for a consumer.
1: Yeah, it's you know kind of marching to a slightly different drummer. You know, different a different beat than the Germans. Um, And you know, it's good. It's good to have choices.
0: Yeah, exactly. They they are very popular. They have a lot of presence um, in certain areas. And, you know, Pockets, where they're popular, they're, they continue to be popular. I think they very successfully transitioned from uh, what they, you know, a pretty aging lineup, say, back in 2013. <laughs>
1: that's, that's putting it mildly. Um,
0: <laughs> but, you know, there, there was, a, and that was a good lineup. You know, everything had a real family vibe to it um, that really sort of all came out in the first few years of, of the you know, the, the first decade of the two thousands, you know, between 2000 and 2005, uh, there six. Actually the,
1: know. the, the XC, the original XC 90 goes back to, I think about 98,
0: so 2003, but it was, it was in development all the way back. Yeah. It goes back to, so it was the, the S 80 came out in 98 and it, the, the, original XC 90 is based on that S 80. Um, and <laughs> You can still buy that architecture over in your Ford store,
1: not for long.
0: <laughs> not for long.
1: They, they've 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 ended production of the uh, of the Flex and the um, uh, Lincoln MKT. So,
0: but the Taurus is still around.
1: And uh, no, barely. it's out of it's been out of production yeah. for a while too.
0: Really? Oh, I and mean, there may be some.
1: There's there's still some in inventory, probably. But yeah, they they ended production of that um, early this year when they switched over to you know to getting set up for the new uh for the new explorer and aviator
0: oh maybe it's all Cause done it's, now cuz the explorer yeah. it was, it was they're, Taurus they're... Explorer Flex um, and MKT and MKT yeah I forgot about the MKT which you should too <laughs> <laughs> the other thing too with <laughs> well, the Well the market
1: certainly did you know yeah. at least 5 or 6 years ago
2: yeah i think the xa 90 came out in like 2002 time frame yeah. but yeah. then yeah, of course they were owned by Ford but then you know, the transition to ownership by Geely was really significant. And and I, I may have told the story before, but I was over in Jotoburg like just days, weeks before they were going to be purchased. And the people were really, really nervous. I mean, they were had, you know, legitimate concerns about Geely owning them. And then I went a year later and it was just a completely different vibe. They were thrilled. They said that they're just like leaving them alone, giving them the money to do what they want to do. And it was just – people were really genuinely, genuinely happy at Volvo headquarters. And yeah. I
1: mean, Geely has been an incredible steward of the brands that it has acquired over the last several years. Yes. Uh, it's particularly a very good Volvo. way to
0: put it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they own – do they own Lotus too?
1: They do now. Yeah. yeah. They bought Lotus and also a controlling stake in Proton.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I can't wait for the first Lotus tune suspension on a Volvo. I think that be, that'll fix it. <laughs> that, that'll that fit, fix solve it. all my complaints. <laughs> but they have been really careful, and I think that that's um that's important because a lot of times you see ownership that's not careful, uh, and that's sort of more damaging. And, and that's I think that's a legitimate concern when you've got the sort of cultural clash, um, of uh, sort of you know leadership and ownership we've seen or we've heard lots of comments about how you know difficult it is to to do business or to to work for you know Hyundai and Kia for example
1: yeah i mean uh, if you're you know if you're not a korean uh you know working and you work at at Hyundai or Kia um it can be especially uh, you know in the executive ranks it it can be challenging
2: and even if you are uh, Korean, it can be challenging. That's true. <laughs> it doesn't matter.
1: But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Americans you know, in the executive ranks at Hyundai and Kia generally tend not to have the longest tenures. years. Um, although I, I, I do know a number of people who've been uh, at Hyundai of America for more than a decade now and you know, seem to be doing quite well. So.
0: Well, we can ask John Craftick about his time there. <laughs> we well I mean them.
1: he he had one of the longer tenures as CEO of that brand um, in North America um, and you know nobody else has lasted as long as he did
0: it was the fuel economy thing that took him out right he he sort of fell on his sword for that there was some something mm-hmm. or maybe it was just his time to leave and it happened yeah, I, I,
1: yeah I, th- I think it was more the latter
0: yeah he, he probably wouldn't admit to it anyway <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, um. All right. Well, let's move on from the XC90 or XC60, um, which is a perfect snow car. Uh, you know, Rebecca, the uh, 2020 Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross also strikes me as kind of a pretty good snow car. Um, and that's probably at about least all- on paper. Yeah, I was. Gonna, <laughs> that's about the only time I'd, I'm ever going to call it like a pretty good anything car. That thing's. It's Ugh. fine. And that's that's about as much as you can say. It's so old, and I I don't know. I but res- it just came out. I respect Mitsubishi for how long they've been able to stretch that, but that car is just not not real good.
2: <laughs> it's not, and 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 actually, you know, I had one back in the spring, so we may have spoken about the 2019. I definitely wrote a review about it. I but this was the 2020 version of the Eclipse Cross SEL. Uh, has a 1.5 liter engine in it, four cylinder.
0: Oh, that engine. I remember liking that engine a lot, actually. I thought the engine was pretty good. Okay, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, th- I thought it, well, it, 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 was, um... it was
2: better when I took it out of econ mode. Econ mode was brutal.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, that it makes sense. It was
2: just, it was like it was wrapped in cotton. Like it just, I was like, please start moving. And it was so lethargic and listless and just this like really muffled, like you put your foot on the accelerator and absolutely nothing happened.
0: (laughs) Yeah. See, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I'm not sure what I, what I, what I experienced where I was going to say, like, I felt like it was a larger displacement and uh, something I don't know. It felt more energetic than I thought it should for a
2: 1.5. Well, but- so this was, yeah. I mean, it is turbocharged, uh, and as I said, and this and the CVT. You know, I struggle with CVTs anyway, but it just. I mean, once I got it out of econ, and I basically left it out of econ <coughs> because I couldn't stand it. But you know, I like you said. Like, I mean, I give Mitsubishi credit, and I want them to do well because there's really too. good people that work there.
0: I, so that's, the, that's what makes me feel so guilty for, for pointing I, out like these are just not good cars. Cause the, look, they, they come and they support us. Um, they sponsor some events sometimes and stuff. And this yeah. is a, like you said, they're, they're good people and they try hard and they're, they're good just, people. They really are. It's just, you know, but at
2: the end of the day, it's always about the product. Right. And so you know, and this Mitsubishi, this the the Eclipse Cross, it's the base is twenty eight thousand five ninety five for the version that I had, and then it had some different features in it that including like heated seats and some some driver assist things, and then it it got up to like thirty one thirty two seven delivered, and I think that it just, you know, I remember things <coughs> like I couldn't get the voice recognition to work. Like I would press it and my phone w- was attached. My phone was connected, but it gave me some random message. I can't remember now what it was. I should have <laughs> recorded it. And and then it said it again. And I was like, okay. So then of course I end up having, I had to make a phone call. So then of course I end up having to use my phone, not on Bluetooth, uh, because I couldn't get it to work, even though it was connected. Like it was just, I couldn't call, I couldn't make the phone call through voice recognition and then i couldn't change the radio and there's no dials because voice recognition wasn't oh. working and yeah it was and <laughs>
0: it's got um it's, it's you got to use the touch screen there are no right the, yes. yeah, yeah yeah is is, is that yeah. like the rockford Fosgate branded head units
2: uh, yes exactly yes.
0: yeah Look,
1: looks like it has a touchpad in there too it's, just, it does just what every car should have that touchpad is
0: which pointless.
2: I i didn't yeah <laughs> so, so then, and then, so there was, so th- that was a, a bit of a memorable moment. And then as I'm driving on the Merritt Parkway, which is the lovely two lane, each direction, two lane highway, and I drive it a lot and there's one, there's a particular bump, it, but it's not like a pothole. It's like, it's like two bumps in the road as if they repaired it or something. And then it sort of frost heaved a little bit. And I try and avoid the bump because I know where it is, but in this per- particular case, I wasn't able to, and I hit it. And I swear, if I had had dentures, they would have come out. Like this was just, and 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 in no other car does it do this. Like because I've hit it before, you know, it's not so huge that I'm going to make an evasive maneuver around it, but. Man, I I think I actually hit it in the in the Volvo XC40, and it was nothing like that. And I remember thinking, "Wow, what a difference it was between you know going over this particular patch versus in one car versus the other." And you know, for thirty two thousand dollars, there's so many other vehicles in this class in that five passenger four door mid mid to compact SUV size that you could buy for that price.
0: It just. Yeah. The world really is your oyster at uh, that price level. It I, is. I, I, so so I, first of all, like you've got the SEL, right? Yes. Okay. So that's, that's an all wheel drive version. Cause there's yes. for two, for i tw- I'm looking at what's available for 2020. It seems like there's a new two wheel drive option, so You can actually get it probably a little, a uh, little cheaper than your SEL starts. So this, it's got to start in the twenties um but e- even there like w- what i found with it was when you start to compare um features for price it the eclipse cross does pretty well like sam said on on paper um yes. you know it has a lot of features it has a head up display that, it, 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 it it checks off all the boxes it it does and and so i can i can understand how it makes that case for itself um it's I think, like you found, it's a much more primitive chassis. Yeah. Than, yes. um, pretty it, much everything else. But. <laughs> it, it
2: actually, it's it's an it IIHS. Okay. It, it's an IIHS top safety pick too. Yeah, so
0: they because try, it also, like, they
2: it, do they they yeah. really try.
0: It has active um, some active safety features too. Yeah. Right? Oh, deb- got,
2: No, for sure. Yeah, this one has. Uh, uh, this one had the, and... Yeah, the lane departure warning. It had adaptive cruise uh heated steering wheel heated heated front and rear seats uh that that Rockford Fosgate premium sound system and all of that for $2100 a huge right. power panoramic sunroof i mean it should be a good value but i think part of it too is there's just so much competition that it has to be really good and it's not
0: yeah, it's it, not as polished, materials aren't as good, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, so it was, you know, again, I wanted to like it. I wanted to be like, "Okay, good. This is great." And also the visibility out the back is not great. It just, you know, again, I I just struggled with it. <laughs>
0: Well, it's got that funky sort of Aztec style rear window, right? Yes. Where there's a bar right across the middle of the mirror where yep, exactly, exactly where you want to it, see
2: exactly where you need it to go.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: yeah. So that was unfortunate. Uh um,
0: I hope eventually Mitsubishi gets some new platforms because this is this is the same sort of leftovers they've been. Dealing with, and well, I, I part of it is just they don't have anything else, right? Do now. they
2: have alliances? I don't know if they have. Uh, they're yeah,
0: they're part of the. They're
2: part of the Renault Nissan right, alliance. The, the Nissan of, alliance. Uh, the alliance. Yeah, but that, I mean, I don't know. But they were
0: I also they lashed too. up with Toyota v- with something. Too, uh, right? No, they're not.
2: No, no you're right there. I forgot they were part of the Nissan Renault alliance. Okay. So yeah, hopefully, better product, better products are on the way because they do deserve it. You know, I think that they're um. I think that they're, you know, they could be a competitive brand. I'm concerned because they're offering 0% financing for 48 months and, and they got into, they got into trouble, you know, years ago with their too
0: many zeros. I remember sitting next to, I won't, I won't name any names, but I remember sitting next to a PR guy from, uh, Mitsubishi and, uh, saying, Oh, Hey, uh, how did that uh, zero 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 thing work out for you? It was like <laughs> it was the that it was awful. It was the worst thing ever because it's like it's like a sugar high for the brand. It temporarily juiced sales, but they were selling cars that were but it was all, to-
1: and it was all subprime stuff too.
0: Yeah, and yeah. exactly, and it was people who couldn't couldn't even swing it on on the sort of most generous, somewhat predatory and abusive terms, and so the cars came back.
2: I know. You know no, it was. It didn't brutal. help him. I will say, though, he was a great guy, though, because he knew I had tickets to the to the L.A. Kings game and the hockey match. And we were in a meeting and he looked at the time and he goes, you have to go if you're going to get there on time. Oh, that's
0: awesome. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, you know, I hope they don't fall down that trap and I, I hope they get some some better product. I mean, Nissan has a bunch of stuff already that they could just sort of give them. Well, and, and that's
1: what we're going to start seeing, you know, and the, the, you know, Mitsubishi joined the Alliance just two years ago. Right. Um, uh, you know, they were, they were struggling and, and, you know, Nissan and Renault stepped in and took a controlling interest and, you know, the next, the next batch of vehicles, the next batch of new vehicles, you know are going to be adopting, you know, platforms from the alliance.
0: I mean, you know what, they can just sell Renaults with Mitsubishi badges here and I'd be fine with that cuz there's so many interesting cars. <laughs> um That'd and and true. probably some of it is like the forbidden fruit kind of thing like you just we don't have it here but I just I, the French cars are fascinating to me. Um and yeah, I Mitsubishi has such a history too. That's the thing that kills it.
1: You could, me. you could you could replace the Mirage with the Zoe.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean just I think back like to the you know the 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 90s sort of the Japanese bubble economy certainly helped them out but they had the like, the Diamante was just this this I The the
1: first the first generation Diamante was actually a, quite a quite a neat vehicle.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then they had the the Gallant that looked very similar. They had the yeah. all the Diamond Star cars which were amazing. The 3000 GT, like they were on a roll, and the, let's not forget the Lancer Evo, and I don't know, they they've been an engineering sort of powerhouse for a long time. I mean,
1: they were they were great at engines for a long time. Yeah,
0: they had that little not, not so great jam. on the
1: chassis side, but they were great at engines.
0: You see, that and it's even as as sort of uh limited as we're we're saying the Eclipse Cross is like for its limitations, it it drives. Well enough if I recall, like it, it drives okay. It drives fine. It's 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 you don't yeah, get any surprises. It, right? it, it drives it's fine. S- exactly. Stable. And, I mean, I
2: didn't feel unsafe in it by any right. stretch. You know, I didn't feel like I didn't have control over the vehicle or that the steering was imprecise or something. It's not a sport you know, it's not an athletic refined product. But right. you know, it's just uh yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the groan says it all. Poor, poor Mitsubishi.
2: So on a happier note, the other one that I had,
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: I had the Fiat One Twenty Four Spider, which of course the Fiat. <laughs> right, I was gonna say the Fiat. Exactly the <laughs> Fiat. And I actually I didn't get a lot of chance to drive it because I I was traveling and uh, Saturday I had to do the the marathon uh, gumball rally out to Pennsylvania, uh, but the uh, but the, I had the top down. Uh which was a lot of fun i on Monday, and it was beautiful out and zipped around in it and You know, I will say though it was really interesting because it was not as engaging as the miata like well it's I, a, it's about a
1: hundred pounds heavier than a miata,
2: okay. Yeah, but it also and,
0: has the um, yeah, turbo the, engine. The extra,
1: the extra bodywork does does add some weight to it.
2: It does. And I the Miata that I had was a manual, which is so much fun. And this is an automatic. And it there was there's just something really authentic about the Miata that the Fiat doesn't give you. At the same time, I did, I mean, I thought the styling, you know, the styling is beautiful. It's such a head turner. And I was able I was able to get in and out of both cars fairly easily. but, um, this one was really easy to get out of. Like I was really surprised. And then I had a a friend of mine that came with me, and he's a pretty big guy. And he was like, "How am I going to fold myself into this?" <laughs> and I was like, "Well, just try it." And the next thing you knew he was in it, And I was like, "Oh, that was really easy." And so, you know, there was just things that that was really pleasant about it. Of course, the exhaust note with the abarth engine it was just incredible. I mean it was it, it's really fun. So, you know, just hearing that alone, the heated seats were great. It did not have a heated steering wheel, which I was disappointed about. Uh, and I actually had trouble with the Uconnect system, which I is typically really well received, but it didn't seem to like my USB-C connection, and I definitely had some issues with it. Um, not as much as the Mitsubishi, but I was just surprised because usually the U Connect is really reliable.
1: Well, uh, isn't, um, doesn't the, the, the 124 just have the, the standard uh, Mazda infotainment system in it? Oh. It did, the last one I drove did.
2: You know what? I think oh, you're right because it's not touchscreen yeah. either. It right. wasn't touch, which I discovered. Does it have
0: the little control knob down on the console? Yeah. Yeah, it's got a central yes, controller. it
2: does. Yeah. No, you're right. Because I couldn't get it to move. I was like, why won't this do And my friend's like, because it's not touchscreen. I'm like, oh, right. Okay. See, <laughs> and I think it, that
0: that's... Uh,
2: it has
1: the proper interface for nope, an in-vehicle. No, it does
0: and, not. No, uh, I yes, think it that really should have a touchscreen on it as well as the controller. Because no. Because even though I like using no touch No touchscreens. And it's... I, I don't know. Again... Uh, You got to meet the people where they are. If you're going to put the screen in the thing, you have to just understand that people are going to touch the screen. I can't tell you how many fingers I have resisted breaking in my career as a a video editor where people reach out and they touch your monitor and you need the monitor clean. You don't want smudges on it. And it's just it's the touchscreens drive me bonkers. But if you're (laughs) going to have the thing, people are going to want to touch it.
2: Yes. Yes. I it's wanted to touch it. To. I, I touched it and touched it and it wouldn't work. Uh, but but again, you know, the, so this, this vehicle is just, it's so much fun for, you know, meandering drives and just classic automotive experience. I mean, this one, and again, it has a pretty decent trunk, almost no space inside. It doesn't even have a glove box. Uh, and But the top is so easy to put up and down. You know, it's just there's such a, a simplistic authenticity to the driving experience when you're in a two-door two-passenger roadster. And I know Sam, you have an amazing Miata that I've driven in and it just has that same feel that is often lost today. So, I loved it.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, and compared to mine, you know, the the modern Miatas and the 124, you know, feel so much more solid. And it, what's amazing is at least in the Miata version, um, you know, it actually weighs almost the same as my first generation one. But, you know, wow. mine feels practically delicate by comparison. Yeah. You know, whereas whereas this one, you know, the, the modern ones, you know, it feels really nice and solid. It does. Um it, you know, and of course, you know, you're you also, you know, it's got a higher belt line so you feel more enclosed. You don't feel quite as exposed as you do in mine. You know, mine. You know, the the belt line is lower. You know, I can stick my yeah. arm out. You know, and my arm's not. You know, if I put my arm on the the wind, the windowsill, you know, and and the new one, you know, it's it's definitely angled up more. Right. Uh, whereas you know, it's it's much more comfortable in mine. But nonetheless, you know, they are great to drive. And you know, I actually I drove the the 124 about a year and a half ago. Uh, but I had the um, the a Barth. Uh, with the, uh, the six-speed manual, oh, and, that's nice. You know nice. that that one point four liter turbo with the six-speed manual is a fantastic combination. I bet that's, that's a the hoop. only
0: way. To, is that the only way to get a manual with the one twenty four? No,
1: oh, no, you um, can get it
0: with the other the, the other trims. The ba-
1: yeah, the, the, yeah, you can get it in in all of them.
0: Okay, yeah. So this one goes
2: for about thirty, just over thirty seven thousand, thirty seven thousand twenty. It does have the Recaro. Uh, seats and a couple of other uh, additions, but it was you know it was it was just a lot of fun. I mean, it was I didn't want to see it go
0: for sure. I could but I definitely it, could have had it. Does it feel more worth it than the Miata? Um,
1: it,
2: no,
0: I probably I mean, the, the
1: starting gotten... price is pretty similar. You know, the the pricing is not that different between the Fiat and the and the Mazda.
2: Yeah, I mean, I probably I preferred the Mazda. Overall, I would say, uh, that the just the just the handling of it was a little bit crisper. the I don't know, I just felt like there was really good feedback from the steering uh, and again, you know, part of it, I'm sure, was because it was a manual that I just was so much more engaged with it. I loved it i mean i I felt like I was always conscious of what I was driving. In the Miata, because it was just something that I wanted to communicate with, whereas the 124 was a little bit more, I uh, almost well behaved, if you will. Like I felt like I could get myself into a lot of trouble a little more the grown Miata. up.
1: Yeah the the the, the Fiat feels a, a little more grown up.
2: Yes, yes. I mean, I felt like with the Miata, I felt like I really could. I could do some damage in that thing. <laughs> it was, it was, it was a lot of fun, but the, but yes, you're exactly right, Sam. The, the, you know, the Fiat is, it's a little bit more grown up. It's, it's not that it's more refined. It's just more serious somehow. Yeah.
1: And, and uh, to, to the question of the engines, there's actually only the 1.4 liter turbo offered in the, uh, in the Fiat now. Oh,
0: okay.
1: Seems and, like there used to be another engine option, but uh, now it's just the one four turbo.
2: And then on the pricing, the Miata that I had this summer was thirty eight thousand three thirty five, and this the Fiat is thirty seven thousand twenty. I don't know if they're exactly the same, but and actually the Fiat the I think it's like a the automatic is a pretty is like a thirteen or fourteen hundred dollar. Uh, Upcharge,
0: so yeah, because you should not buy it. Exactly,
2: <laughs> it's
1: thir- it's thirteen fifty for the automatic. See?
0: They charge you. They charge you what you could get a whole used Miata for, for just a transmission. <laughs> you shouldn't buy anyway. Don't buy well, that transmission.
1: Yeah, but you know what? If if you find a thirteen hundred dollar Miata, walk away from it. I didn't or say it wasn't going
0: to be thirteen hundred dollars worth of regret. I just said there was <laughs> like you can get one. Um And a thirteen hundred
1: bucks that Miata is probably going to be. Mostly just rust holding it holding yeah. it together,
0: <laughs> and there are people who legitimately can't drive manuals. Um, you know, you, you get knee problems and whatever like that. That's a thing. So carry on, do your thing. You spend the money on the transmission, but I personally, I would just be like, no, I'm saving that money. <laughs> Put it into gas.
2: Totally agree with you.
1: <laughs> but you know, you can you can get the the one twenty four. Um, for the the Classico model, starting at twenty five four, and you know that's got that one four turbo, you know, manual transmission, you know, and that's you know that's actually a really nice combination.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I the, and again, that's one of the fun things about that these types of vehicles is that if they have a, that lower price point, you don't necessarily need it all dolled up, you know, you don't need it all spiffed up. You just it's just a fun car to drive.
0: See now, and I kind of uh, my assumption is, and I, I haven't really compared them side by side. My assumption is that the Fiat feels a little bit more dressed up, interior wise. Uh, certainly, styling is slightly different. But, mm, you know, no, actually, yeah, in the just... in
1: the cabin, the only difference between the Fiat and the Mazda is the badge on the steering wheel on the airbag. Yeah, it's a, so everything else is exactly the same, and and the 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 graphic that comes up when the the infotainment starts up. You know, you get a a Fiat a one twenty four. Uh, profile on there versus uh, the Mazda graphic that comes up.
2: Can you get the Recaro seats and the Alcantara leather uh, suede with the Miata? Uh,
1: I believe you can get Recaro's. Okay. I don't know if I didn't mention it
2: in my review. So I, and I usually would have done, but I'll look it up too and see Uh, because the, I thought the interior was, was, I mean, certainly the seats were just beautiful, you know? So I think they did a good job. Overall, I, it was a lot of fun.
0: I think when you when you compare, you can see the. I think the original Spider was or the 124 was styled by Michelotti. Mm. And I think you you can see how much they tried to get yeah. some of that into the current car. Yeah, there, there's
1: there's definitely cues you know of that original 124 in this in this new one.
0: Yeah, I think they did an okay job. It's different, and you know what? I don't care that it's a Miata. I think it's good that we have choices. Yeah. So then, exactly. Well,
1: you, you know, uh the the funny thing is the 124 originally was when Fiat and uh Fiat Chrysler and and Mazda first got together for this program, this was actually supposed to be an Alfa Romeo Spider, not not a Fiat. Yes. Um and and um Sergio Marchionne had decreed that all Alphas would be built in Italy. And Mazda said, you know, for the kind of volume you're going to have for this thing it makes zero sense to build it you know oh, to add a second line that. in Italy to build it, and so they said you know so we've it only makes economic sense if we build it in Japan, and so they uh you know they decided okay, fine, we'll make it a fiat instead
0: it's the best fiat there is <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's one it, of I the know.
2: only fiats in the states anymore so <laughs> yeah
0: i I mean I actually I really like the five hundred x too, but yeah um.
2: What did you drive this right. week?
0: I was going to say, uh, so v- very much like Sam, I was tooling around a premium compact. Well, it seems Sam's was not compact, but I had the, the 2020 Ford Escape Titanium. This is my first experience with the new Escape, which is this is the third generation. So it's the only way you're going to get. It's actually
1: fourth generation.
0: Is it fourth? Is it has a fourth yeah. generation. You had two generations of the first one. One generation of the second.
1: Well, or, the, I mean, th- you know, technically oh, okay. the second. There was the second generation that launched in two thousand nine or something. Yeah, so yeah, that I, that was
0: a really heavy mid-cycle refresh to me. Yeah, I, I mean, it was the, was the same, same. It was the same
1: basic platform, but uh, you know, it, all, you know, all the bodywork, all the interior was completely redone.
0: I and so that I loved that generation. The second uh, gen. Yeah. I, it was just such a friendly little honest little crossover. And with the three liter V six, it was plenty of, you know, had plenty of power. It, they made a hybrid version of it. it. It drove really well. Cause it was a Mazda. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, I, there was very little to complain about. I think they Ford really nailed it. And then when they went to the, the outgoing escape, the one that, the, so the 2019 is, is the one that replaced that, the, the one that i was just speaking rapturously about and i just never warmed up to it it just felt clunky on its feet it it didn't it was bigger but it didn't feel bigger it uh it drove more bland and you know, some of that's probably just rose colored glasses i just i didn't like the styling i didn't just it never it never warmed the recesses of my heart, like the, that other escape. And so I really wanted to try this latest generation. So I'll, I, I'll agree with you. I'll say it's the fourth generation. Uh, and it's the only way you're going to get the newest Ford Focus here in the States because we don't get it any other way. And it's it's good. You know, it's certainly the the basic architecture is, is real good. And, and I discovered that, especially um, if you want to drive it at the limit, um, the, the focus bits really help. <laughs> and it it uh, reacts surprisingly well to being flung really hard um, until the stability control kicks in and decides that you have much too much of a yaw angle happening and you need to settle down. <laughs> and straightens it out and stops. Uh, in theory, but- you mean. Yeah, in theory, right? No, that wasn't it. wasn't a cloverleaf that I really, really cranked in and a bunch of steering angle at the end of it. Nope, not at all. Uh, not not a thing that happened. Nope. Um, but it, you know, it's a solid platform. It's an all new platform, so it, it, that pays dividends. Um, the, it's got the two liter EcoBoost, which is plenty powerful for what it is. Uh, the styling inside and out, it, it's hard not to like the titanium. It's the highest trim level. So it it's nice. Um inside I I really love what they've done with the interior. They've cleaned it up quite a bit. Uh, it so it looks a lot better, especially again in the the most premium trim. Um the there's like a strip of it's faux wood, but it looks real nice. Um it's kind of a low gloss thing, emulates what you'd see in a more higher end interior like in the Volvo. So they did a nice job with that. Um the ergonomics are cleaned way up because there were a lot of buttons on the outgoing and the 2019 it has a ton, ton of little buttons and they're kind of haphazard. It's a mo- lot better organized in the 2020. Some of the buttons are still kind of small and it's hard to operate them by feel and they're all the way at the base of the console. So um, your best bet is probably to just leave the HVAC in auto and you won't have any of the complaints that I had, but I'm, you know, I like to tinker. So, Uh, I had some trouble finding some of the controls for a couple of days until I got used to it. Um, And sync three is better. (laughs) It's not, it's not perfect. The voice recognition actually really does help you out. Um, That's again, I think the probably the best way to operate the whole system. I was a little disappointed that by using CarPlay, I was stuck with using maps where I would have much rather use the embedded nav in some cars. Like I had the, the honda passport i was i had carplay connected but i could use the built-in nav which i preferred versus using maps on my my phone um but overall it's you know it's just it's a solid update it has there's a lot uh to like about it it is forty thousand dollars so it starts to creep up there price wise uh but it's the top trim so it has all the toys it's got the, the leather it's got the big panoramic roof it's got the power hatch all the, the ADAS stuff um you can get it i think in the, the mid-20s uh, which yeah, it starts it
1: starts at about 25
0: yeah so that's that's a much more reasonable deal for it you don't need the titanium trim it it again it looks real nice but you don't need it <laughs> um and I guess, you know, so I was a little disappointed in the, the, um, the ergonomics. I, I was also, I still was struck by how much, uh, sort of more refined the RAV4 felt. And, you know, this, the Escape's not bad, but just the, the RAV4 felt a little more rigid, had a little bit better suspension discipline, uh, and, you know, the interior of the Ford is nicer. But I also had the Rav4 XSE, so it's a different. It's not apples to apples. Um, and I think the Rav4 is actually a little larger, a little roomier. It's at least more upright. So th- this is a lot more stylish. But you, I think you, you pay for that a little bit. Although I, w- I was able to fit a nice chunk of lawn equipment in the back of it on Saturday. Um, so you know, it's it's a good choice. It's it's a good compact crossover. It's a great update for what they had fuel economy is a little disappointing and it only came in at about 24 uh so i mean you could spend the extra 20 grand and get the XC60 that Sam had and get the same fuel economy with more space
1: you could also get the uh, the 1.5 liter 3 cylinder uh, turbo in here as the as the base engine and that's oh, actually d- quite I a would, nice engine too
0: i would love to have yeah. that it just has that little snarly engine note that's yeah. so much more entertaining cuz the the 2 liter it's it's powerful it's fine but it also, it's not as muted. I'm sure the Corsair is a lot quieter, uh, but you you hear some of the engine note. Uh, I, I do like that it doesn't have a CVT; it has a conventional automatic, and those are those are really well matched to each other. Um, and you, if you put it in eco mode, everything calms down a bit, and can, you know it it smooths out your inputs, so it's not snapping your head around like um, the brakes are touchy, the gas pedal is touchy, and some of the other modes. Um, so. It, it's a really, really good entry to the compact crossover. Yeah, result. and
1: you know, like looking I'm looking at the uh the EPA fuel economy numbers, you know, the, the two liter the all wheel drive two liter is rated at twenty six combined. Um the one five the four the front wheel drive one five is at thirty. And the um the hybrids, the all wheel drive hybrid is at forty miles per gallon and forty one for the front drive hybrid. See so, the front
0: drive hybrid is the one to get.
1: Yeah, well, you know, if you if you're looking for, you know, for fuel economy, you know, the hybrid really is the way to go. And, you know, having driven both the hybrid and the uh the titanium with the 2 liter, you know, the the hybrid is not quite as powerful, but it's still, you know, it's got plenty of power. You know, it's o- it's over 200 horsepower combined for the hybrid powertrain. And, you know, that's, you know, that's more than sufficient. And, you know, I think the thing to keep in mind about you know, what they've done with the escape this time around, Uh, you know, because Ford is expanding their, their SUV lineup, you know, they've kind of, they've, they've shifted where the escape kind of sits in the lineup, you know, in the past, you know, it was, they were trying to have it be more of an SUV, you know, and kind of, you know, be, you know, the urban suburban commuter vehicle, and also, you know, kind of have, some semblance of off-road capability and this time they have shifted the the escape to really be more of you know that suburban commuter vehicle and you know one of the interesting things about the escape you know when when we were at the the launch they they said that i think it's like about two-thirds of escape buyers are women that doesn't um,
0: surprise me at all
1: you know and and you know the the way it gets used you know regardless of who the buyer is you know it it really is more of that urban suburban you know commuting vehicle um it's it essentially is you know really you know the way people traditionally would use a car like the focus and it has de- the, this new escape has definitely shifted to be more focus like you know and you know taller but still focus like um and you know then to to fill that gap you know for those that want something a little more rugged they have this other variant that's on the same platform that that's coming you know that has been referred to as you know the baby bronco or the bronco sport or something like you know it'll be something like that um you know that's coming yeah, that, <laughs> that's coming in the spring and that's going to be targeted more you know as a rugged off-road vehicle you know so think of it more like um you know, like a Cherokee Trailhawk type of vehicle. Okay,
0: yeah. You know, so uh, I,
2: I, I do that too. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I, I think that the key for the escape, it seems, is that when it's at its most pure, when they just own what it is, it's it's better. You know, I liked it the most when it was a trucklet. You know, and and now I like it more now when it's like you said, sort of embracing fully that role as a urban commuter. Just what you would use a focus for, but in in crossover form because people want crossovers versus what is, you know, the 2019 is a little confused. It's kind of in between. It doesn't, doesn't quite know. And it does, it doesn't do either as well as, you know, this one does being a a crossover and the old one did at being a little truck. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. And you know, what, one of the things I I really do like about this new one, um, you know, is that, they have you know they've done things like lowered the belt line. you know the visibility out of this one is so much better than in the old one, you know all all around to the front and to the sides and to the rear you know it's you can see better out of this thing the the pillars are slimmer uh, than before. you know one of the issues with the old one was you know it had really thick a pillars, and you know the way the mirrors were mounted at the base of the a pillars and then from inside you know the the a pillars curved inwards at the bottom so you had this massive blind spot at the at the base of the a-pillars on the old one and that's much reduced now on the on the
0: new version yeah Yeah, i i hated being the last one
2: well a-pillars are always an issue for me being short and how far how close i put the seat that me too right that i mean that (laughs) a-pillar just becomes bigger and bigger you know as you inch towards this towards the steering wheel and i remember on the launch that i thought the escape had really really good visibility and it was nice to drive i mean it wasn't the most exciting car but again this this segment is really it's kind of for everybody and it's a it's it has a wide range of appeal i do agree sam i think that most most focus i'm sorry escape uh buyers are probably women because it's a nice size, you know, and it's a nice price point, it's a good sense of feel and it's not very exciting. You know, you're not going to get into a competition with somebody at a traffic light because it's not all souped up. We drove the hybrid as well and and that was really nice. They did a really really good job on the hybrid too. It was it was uh not very intrusive, you know, it wasn't like oh, you know, you're driving a hybrid. The regen brakes were really well-behaved. And and I like this lineup. I think they, they have something for everybody. Yeah. yeah. And,
1: you know, the interesting thing they've done in, you know, in the lineup now is, you know, if you look at it, you know, you've got the base S model, the SE, and then there's the hybrid. The first hybrid trim level is the SE Sport Hybrid. So, you know, it's they've they've actually made the hybrid a little sportier looking and sportier feeling. You know, you've got black trim and, you know, things like that. And you can also get the hybrid powertrain in the titanium. But, um, you know, that mid-level one, you know, that's kind of the heart of the market. And Ford's actually, you know, projecting, you know, pretty significant, excuse me, pretty significant take rate for hybrids uh, in this new generation.
2: Yeah, well, and there's no reason, in some ways, there's no reason not to buy buy it. You know, it starts at 282 eight two. For the hybrid, and as you say, it's a sport edition. So it's you know, it's engaging. It's an engaging drive. And mm-hmm. if you, you know, have the opportunity to get access to an HOV lane, you're certainly going to get better fuel economy. And there's not Do you get the
0: tax break? Can you still get the no. tax break? No. No.
1: No. Not, uh, you will be able to get a tax break with the plug in when that arrives in the spring. So there's also a plug in hybrid version coming in the spring.
2: Right. But some municipalities will still let a hybrid into the HOV lane. You know, depending. not in California. Not in California. That's why I said some. Yeah.
0: You, and you know what? And you I just know. need a printer. Right? You need a printer, and you can print out <laughs> one of those stickers, and you can put it on the card. Yeah. But anyway, okay. before,
2: before do again, that in
1: California, you're looking at a pretty hefty fine.
0: That's true.
2: But no, attention <laughs> to the brig. I think the <laughs> escape. It's they've they've done. They have a, a nice range for for somebody, and I would definitely consider the hybrid.
0: I, I I think it's worth considering. I do still feel like the Rav Four is impressively updated as well, and I think that's. I would have to crush up those two like back to back yes, to really for figure sure. out which one I like.
2: Yeah, I, I liked the hybrid. I liked the Rav Four hybrid a lot as well, and I thought the interior was a little bit spiffier. Uh, you know, you, you oh s- really? Uh, for the for the Toyota, I liked the bl- I liked the bright blue pinstriping. I mean it's just a personal thing but yeah, I thought it was fair. cool.
0: Um because that's I actually I really liked the interior here except for like the door panels and stuff where you you start to feel like okay it's a $40,000 vehicle but you can see some of the areas where they saved money you know? Yeah but especially some of the lower panels
1: much. you know like the sides of the center console you know you can definitely see where you know, I mean, you know how in the, in the past, you know, we've complained about the pricing on the Mazda CX five, right? But you know, you get into a CX five, and then you get into this, and you know, up, you know, the upper areas of the the interior, you know, they're they look you know pretty comparable in terms of materials and and finish, but when you move down just a little bit, you know, you get you know to the sides of that center console, now you're talking, you know, hard plastics that really don't look or feel as nice as the materials in the Mazda, you know the Mazda definitely has a more upscale feel, even though you know it's you know about roughly the same pricing as as the escape
0: yeah that's true you know see this is this is Mazda's problem. We just talked about the Rav four over and over again didn't mention the Mazda once. And, <laughs> I, and it's you know, the I, same I would, class. I
1: would, I would, you know, I would take the Mazda, you know, over the Rav Four any day.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah, I, that that is a problem for Mazda to overcome. And while the Escape exists, I don't know that it's going to, because the Escape offers that sort of credible counterpoint to the Rav Four and to, to the CRV as well, which is still out there. But uh, the, the Escape just, it, I think overall styling wise it's sleeker it's the newest of course but it's it looks sleeker it looks more premium just the way it's styled and again i had the the, the sort of top trim so that probably plays a role in how i feel about it uh but it's you know it, it's sucking up some some space in that market where the the smaller players like mazda may get get lost you know, because they're not, they're just not on the tip of everybody's tongue. We we should do something to change that, but it's not our car company, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we're, I think we're, where Mazda is going to start to feel a, a real challenge as well from, from Ford and, you know, from Toyota and Honda Um, is the lack of a hybrid in the CX-5, you know, and, and also, you know, plug-in hybrids, you know, t- um Toyota just recently also announced that, uh, I think in LA next week, they're going to, Reveal the uh, the plug-in hybrid version of the Rav Four. Um, so you're gonna have plug-in hybrids from Ford and Toyota, uh, plus regular hybrids and a hybrid from uh, Honda. You know, and the the CX Five is you know it's got that diesel that is a not especially fuel efficient diesel.
0: And you know, diesel is just this star-crossed thing now. It's just it takes so long to get here, and by the time it gets here. It's just not. I, I don't know. Well, and I don't, it's still, I don't think it's going to be a thing.
2: I think it's still a little bit tainted by Volkswagen. I mean, unless it's yeah, a truck. and it
1: and it always will be. I think
2: I know unless it's a truck. You know, I think it's really hard to sell to sell it. Speaking of, I haven't read a lot, but i I I don't think it's out yet. The Jeep Wrangler Diesel. The launch was last week. And so that'll be really interesting to see how that vehicle is received.
0: So far, I think I've seen chatter that it's been, it's people, reviewers like it. It's just expensive.
2: Yes. That was my impression. Wranglers are expensive. Yeah, Exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But, you
1: know, next year, you know, in 2020, there's also going to be a plug-in hybrid Wrangler. So, you know, that gives, you know, yet another option there.
2: That just seems wrong. I don't know why. I just, I don't know. Okay.
0: I think, You know what? Embrace it. <laughs> I, It'd know. Be hey, you know, I know. Great. Th- I know.
1: Think about. It, you know. You're you're out in the in the outdoors and the the wild frontier. You know what could actually. You know what could make more sense than you know if you've got a a plug-in hybrid Wrangler with you know say 25 miles of, of electric range. You know you could be driving silently through the through the canyons and over the boulders. You know just on electric power alone.
2: Well, I think what, what would actually make more sense is if you save the electric power in the battery pack so that you can, you know, heat your campfire or something, <laughs> you know, get some electricity out there. That's what I would rather do with that battery in Look, a Wrangler.
0: <laughs> everybody needs to blow dry while they're camping. I no, understand. I, I
2: want like a, a space heater.
0: Oh, a space heater. Yeah, That's why you have the fire. Yeah, not, not in a tent. You don't. No, well. That's why you get one of those army surplus mummy bags. Yeah,
2: my idea of camping oh, is a three-star that's... hotel,
0: so no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I think that's that's enough for cars uh, that we've been driving. We should jump into some of the stories we've been looking at. Uh, and because we've had our first snow snowfall, uh, I think now is a really good time to talk about how Ford wants to expand the Mustang brand. Into a car that you could conceivably drive in all kinds of weather, and get sort of your your Mustang fix that way without crashing it into stuff. Um, you mean
1: they're gonna offer it with standard snow tires?
0: No, they're they're gonna make basically an electric <laughs> crossover that's Mustang inspired. And we, Sam, you you actually have the most knowledge of all of us, and mo- most them. of
1: which I can't share yet, right? because um, that's all that's under embargo until Sunday um but by the time that this recording gets out and you know just as long as this doesn't get published before 6 a.m on thursday how, how
0: long fine. yeah i was gonna say how long do you want me to sit on it <laughs> <It's>,
1: <laughs> i i suspect that you you won't be ready before then so 6 a.m on wow. thursday is is the embargo time
0: i'm gonna get it done tonight just for that <laughs> no
1: carry on um So, yeah, you know, last year, 2018, at the North American International Auto Show during Ford's press conference, they showed this teaser video, uh, you know, showing uh, an Explorer and a Mustang driving through Detroit into the the Corktown factory where uh, Team Edison, the the Ford EV team, was based. And, you know, it gets struck by lightning, and then you see this flash come out, and then it, it ends showing the Mach 1 badge on there. And you know, Mach One for, for those who aren't Mustang fans, you know, was, was a high performance Mustang, you know, in the late sixties, early seventies. Um, you know, I think usually with a, a big block V eight. And, you know, people saw that they said, No, this is wrong. You cannot call this thing the Mach One. And, you know, so Jim Farley and the team quickly backtracked on that and um they you know but they ever since then they have been referring to this upcoming their ford's first dedicated electric vehicle as the Mustang inspired electric SUV um and now officially it is no longer just Mustang inspired it is actually a Mustang um that's it's going to their an EV that's going to be revealed on Sunday is called the the Mustang Mach E um and uh what do you guys think about calling this thing a Mustang
0: I have thoughts, but I'll let Rebecca go.
2: Oh no, please, no.
0: Go. <laughs> no. I I think it's going to offend people, but I think it's also fine. Uh, it, it, if you're going to move, Mustang is a brand unto itself, and I, I think that expanding it is is not a bad thing. Um, it it certainly you get some of the affinity for Mustang. You've already got a name that's established. People know Ford Mustang. You don't have to, you don't have to sort of climb that hill of the Ford what? What's that? You know, so I, I think it's, it's not a terrible move. I think they have to be prepared for some blowback.
2: Is nothing sacred anymore? No, it's the car <laughs> nope. business. Nothing
0: is <laughs> not sacred. Not anymore. Since <laughs> 2019,
1: <laughs> nothing's sacred anymore.
0: You know what? They could just call it the Mustang and hey, tell all those people. Hey, there's a people, mid-engine you know Corvette
1: now. Of course, nothing is
0: sacred. <laughs> it, they could just call it what they want to call it and tell people like, "We own the name. It's our car company. Pound sand if you don't like it."
2: Well, what's kind of funny is that it's uh, ironically, it's sort of like the Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross. Like the Mitsubishi right? Eclipse was a little
0: sports car for a long time. Right, and there were enthusiasts and just people who remembered the Eclipse on. So when that thing launched, we were like, "That's not an eclipse."
2: Yes, exactly. <laughs> but, but there's a there's a
1: very important distinction here, though. Yeah, you know, the that Eclipse sports coupe no longer exists. Yes. You know, back in 1988, you know, we got word that Ford was going to replace the Mustang with a front wheel drive coupe based on the Mazda six. You know, and everybody got all up in arms about that, and. You know they eventually backtracked on that, and that car became the probe. But this time, you know, you have the Mach E, but the classic Mustang—you know, coupes and convertibles, rear-wheel drive, V8-powered—those aren't going anywhere. At least not for the foreseeable future. Those are those are still with us, and they're going to be here. You know, so what's happening is they're expanding the Mustang brand into a family you know you've got everything from four-cylinder ecoboost mustangs to the gt500
2: so maybe it's more like the ram then i mean maybe it's uh, more like what dodge is you know what dodge did with Ram to make it its own brand
1: it, it it kind of is you know i mean it's still a ford um you know so you're not completely separating it from the ford brand but you know you're you're expanding it you know in a way you know it's I'd almost say it's more like what, um, what Toyota tried to do with the Prius, you know, a decade ago when they added the Prius V and the Prius C and expand the Prius brand into a family. Um, this is, you know, a little bit different, you know, um, but you know, and like I said, I, I can't discuss details yet of the, of the Mach E, but I think that this will be a much better fit, you know, as a Mustang than, you know, than, maybe some of the previous things, you know, compared to, you know, if they had called the probe, if they had gone with their original plan for the probe to be a Mustang, to be a replacement for Mustang, you know, that would have been, I think ultimately the death knell for Mustang. Um, but you know, because you're still retaining, you know, what Mustang is and you're extending it into a new area, um, both with electric and a crossover, um, You know, I think that there's some interesting potential here. You know, and yeah, I mean, I think you know a lot of Mustang traditionalists are are not going to be happy, but you know, they're still going to have Mustangs to buy. You know, you know so it's I,
0: see, here's the thing: I think the guys, are, I say guys, but I think the I, I feel like the people who are those Mustang traditionalists it's mostly guys. I, I yes, probably predominantly
2: yes, mostly but guys.
0: <laughs> those people who are going to be displeased that the Mustang name uh, is being expanded to a model. That's not typically a Mustang. Um, they're sort of, they're the, the end of the curve, if you will. Um, those are people who are going to be dropping out of the market sooner than those who, (laughs)
1: and and, you know, they're let's, let's face it. They're getting old.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: (laughs) Um, They're, they're like me, they're getting old. Yeah.
2: They're old yeah, but, school their right. mindset is well,
0: school. no, and they're also getting old. They, they're they are old school. They're <laughs> getting old, but they're also like there's a whole bunch of people who remember the probe very fondly, would completely accept a front wheel drive or all wheel drive electric Mustang, no problem. Uh And those are people who are in it, it, already in or coming into the peak of their purchasing power. Ford's pretty smart to to go find them with the product uh and you know the mustang isn't what it started off as anyway it hasn't been since the last of the sn95 cars in 2004 you know when that that was the last mustang that was based on an, a sort of economy car uh you know high volume car platform with big engines and affordable much not it's still affordable but you know much lower price and sort of not as pure a sports car since the s197 it, in 2005 it is cons- it, it's on its own platform it's, there's a lot of parts sharing i get it to, to keep the cost down but it is mu- become much more of a legitimate sports car than it ever was before uh and so it's not what it was already it's just yeah I,
2: I mean i understand that i i think i think it's first of all i, I I see where it could be smart. You're, you don't have to build a brand, right? Everyone knows. But right. I also, I'm, I'm thinking back to a conversation that I had with Jim Farley like a year and a half, almost probably two years ago now, right after they made the announcement that they were discontinuing cars as we know them. And the definition, you know, how people perceive cars is, is evolving. And this is that evolution, right i mean people we call everything a car even if it's a if it's a truck based suv people will still refer to it as their car and it's you know we we call a a something like the ford escape somebody's going to call that their car or a car and so i think that how we think about cars and how the general public thinks about cars is evolving and i think ford is just following that evolution with the evolution of the Mustang nameplate, but it's still gonna be the uproar is gonna be fun to watch.
1: Oh yeah. It's it's gonna be a very interesting week.
0: You know, night. they complained about the Ford or Charger, like, oh that's not a charger. And then they bought all of them over and over and over again for the last fifteen years or however Of course long they're gonna buy them. Thing. It's just, <laughs> just like I it's not it's not gonna be a problem. I think Ford probably is going to be able to sell these. I hope. And what, what do we know what it's going to be priced at? Can we talk about it? No, no. And no. Okay.
1: No. Yeah. but no, no, no. And no, we can't talk about it. And, and we don't know anyway, even if, if we could talk about it. Okay. They they haven't said. Okay. But, but, you know, keep, keep this in mind, you know, that the, the idea of different form factors for the Mustang is not at all new. Yeah. You know, I mean, going back to 19, you know, When, when I was working, you know, when I was still working in in Ford communications back in, uh, 2013, you know, I worked on the press materials for the, the 50th anniversary of Mustang and the, uh, the 2015 car. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in the archives digging through the archives and finding, you know, images of, you know, some of the design concepts over the years, especially from the early years. And, you know, going back to 1963, you know, 62, 63, when they were developing the original Mustang, you know, there were design concepts, there were clay models and, and mock ups back in 1963 of Mustang station wagons and Mustang sedans, um, you know, based on that, that first generation design. So, you know, the idea of trying something new with Mustang, you know, goes right back to the very beginning of this, of this thing. Uh, so it's, it's not at all a new, new idea.
2: Well, it actually sounds more like they had planned on having multiple body styles for the Mustang.
1: They did. Yeah. They, 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 or they certainly, they certainly gave it serious consideration. You know, they never, they never got around to producing it, but even, you know, over the years, you know, we went through, you had the notchback coupes. you had the fastbacks, you had the uh, convertibles, you know, there were the hatchbacks through the, you know, Mustang two and, and uh, you know, the Fox body era. So you know, we went through a lot of different iterations of Mustang over the years.
0: Yeah, I think, and they, and look,
1: let's, let's look at it this way: at least it's not a Pinto,
0: right? I <laughs> that's a pretty low bar. Well, I just, I just, and I just love the whole. I like, think
1: you know, I think, I think people are actually going to be really pleasantly surprised with this thing when they see the details on it.
0: Yeah, I really, I want to check it out. I think it's it's going to be great. And it's going to be different, and that's okay. Get over, get over your clinging to the past. Come on, move on. And
1: you know, if you want Ford to keep building, you know, traditional Mustangs, go out and buy them. Yeah, buy more of them. If you buy them, they will build them. Yeah, you know, the Ford, you know, company, automakers stop building stuff when people stop buying them. If as long as people want to pay the money, they'll build it.
0: Which is, you know, what astounds me is that we can vocally con them into bringing stuff here by saying we'll buy it like the chevrolet ss for example and then we just don't buy it
1: or the cadillac ctsv sport sport wagon
0: yeah exactly it's like we we were vocal enough to make it seem like there was a sales case and then no let's move on um Sam, we you put in here uh, deicing of a Raptor because we saw it uh, very briefly. There was an auto blog post, and uh, the Berlin police don't mess around uh, if you park no. the Raptor in the wrong place.
1: Yeah, well, you know we we've seen various um, you know reports over the particularly over the last year or so of of uh, people with you know big pickup trucks, especially big diesel pickup trucks you know, parking them in front of EV charging stations, you know, just to be just to be assholes. Um, And, uh, you know, the the latest iteration of this was somebody in Germany with an F-150 Raptor. And, you know, um, I can only imagine that um, this, you know, usually when you see vehicles like this in Germany, um, they typically are being driven by members of the U.S. Armed Forces uh, that are stationed in Germany because they generally don't sell very many of these to German natives. But, um, you know, in this particular case, you know, somebody parked a Raptor in front of an EV charging station. So uh, a tow truck was called, and uh, this tow truck uh, happened to have a crane on it, and they literally lifted up the, the Raptor and put it on a flatbed and took it away.
0: I think that's excellent and the aerial uh, shots are pretty cool of it on twitter. Yeah, did, yeah. So, Do you guys understand like why why people feel the need to park their pickups in front of EV charging stations like did you have better things to do with your time?
1: Apparently not.
2: Is We're they, really going to get into the motivations of what people do.
0: here. I, I don't know. I don't know. Like and I I can't say here in like super liberal New England I've seen it I don't know if this is something that, like, I should keep an eye out for or maybe only no, when traveling. No, but it
2: definitely have. I mean, I think it happens a lot more, and this may be stereotypical, but in the South, I think it definitely happens a lot more.
0: Pro-
1: uh, probably. But, you know, then again, and you have know, talked about this before, you know, in California, you know, I've I've experienced EV drivers that just want to take advantage of, you know, parking spots that are close to the store you know, parking their EVs at, you know, at charging stations that are right next to a store and not plugging them in. You know, come on. If you're, if you're driving an EV, you know that people need to charge. You know, if you're not going to use the charger, don't park at the charger, park somewhere else and walk a hundred feet to get to the store.
2: I know, but this is where we need to have those little robot chargers that like come to your car And that will solve this problem.
0: Uh, I don't know about that. I think we need to hit those kind of inconsiderate owners with tasers. No, but if we, but I got some electricity for you uh, right here. I think you know. I think if we do this, (laughs) I think if we pick them up and put
2: them
1: on a flatbed, you know, it'll it'll solve the problem. If you start doing some of this here, you know, it'll that problem will will kind of go away.
2: Yes, it will. But so will the mobile charging units. That so they come out, they charge the car for you, and then they go back to their little spot. So the charging units are in this spot. You don't have to be in a specific spot. I feel like spot.
0: there's a business for, for somebody who um, you just put like a, you know, a GMC 471 on your flatbed, and you just drive around to to get, and, you, and then you, you get a bunch of your buddies to block the chargers with their trucks. And you get that, your, your 471 and your gen set there. And so you're like, oh, you're kind of stuck, huh? I got a generator here. I'll charge you 25 bucks an hour. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so basically, uh, Tata, which owns Jaguar Land Rover, is looking for a partner because they need more partnerships. Uh, specifically, they're talking to Gili and BMW. Gigli, uh, which owns Volvo, as we mentioned earlier, but they also they're based in China. And JLR is really losing their shirt in China. And so they need to figure out uh, how do they manage demand there? How do they how do they get product there? And this is a potential way to do that. And then on the BMW side, Sam, I think you mentioned that they already have a tie-in for electrification. Yeah, they, they
1: made an announcement back in May uh, of, or let's see. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was no, May. sorry, it was June. Oh, June. It was in June of um, BMW uh, and Jaguar Land Rover announcing a collaboration for the next generation electrification strategy. Uh, so, you know, JLR was going to, was going to be using uh, BMW's fifth generation uh, electric drive technology. And right now, you know, JLR only has, you know, they've got a couple of plug-in hybrid um, Range Rover models, but um, on the, the, they only have one battery electric vehicle and that's the I-PACE. And, you know, that one, uh, they, they actually are not using, um, uh, they, didn't develop, they didn't develop their own electric powertrain for that. They went to uh, AAM, uh, a company formerly known as American Axle Manufacturing. Um, and AAM provides the, the motors and, and gearboxes for the iPACE, pace uh, And th- those, those came out of a f- joint venture that AAM used to have with Saab. And after Saab went belly up, uh, AAM bought the those oh, assets. Oh, and, and so
0: American Axle was GM too, right? Like it, it, came it
1: was. With, yeah, uh, it was spun out from GM back in the late nineties. Ah, I so that's
0: so. It's American Axle was GM. Saab was GM. So that's where the tie. Okay. It,
1: it, uh, well, I mean, the the tie the tie up with Saab came long after American Axle was an independent company.
0: But it doesn't fit my conspiracy theory as well.
1: okay
2: anyway
1: (laughs) so anyway um you know jaguar you know has has been jaguar land rover's been looking for something you know uh for more advanced technology uh for their motors uh you know for their electric their electrification products and you know uh tie-ups potential tie-ups with bmw and you know perhaps in china with g league you know would probably make a lot of sense for them
2: I think it would. And also, you know, I think one of the things that struck me about it, interesting with this is that just how we're seeing all of these potential tie-ups come to fruition in terms of, you know, really kind of being brand agnostic in some ways. It's like, you know, you have technology that we need. Maybe you can help us here. And there's there's no strange bedfellows anymore. You know, everyone needs to kind of tie in with uh you know, with somebody else and whether they compete directly or not, it's just something, it's just the reality of today.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, we talked about this a little bit uh, earlier this summer when uh, Volkswagen and uh, Ford announced their tie up, you know, but when you're, when you're doing electric vehicles, you know, in, in the past, you know, when every, when everybody had internal combustion engines, you know, they're, engines, you know, tended to have a little more distinct character, um, you know, from different manufacturers, you know, uh, a a Jaguar inline six or V12 was a very different engine from, you know, say a Mercedes V8 uh, or, you know, an Audi five cylinder, you know, they had very different sounds, very different characteristics. But as you move into electrification, those, a lot of those characteristics fall by the wayside. And, you know, when you drive one EV, you know, it really doesn't feel all that different from another EV. You know, they all basically feel about the same. You know, they don't make much sound, you know. And to the degree that they make sound at all, it's usually something synthetic. Right. Which, you know, so there's there's less and less incentive for everybody to develop their own electric motors. Yeah. You know, and, and also, and the same thing goes for batteries. And, you know, especially when EVs are still comparatively hard to sell, you know, there's, there's still a tiny segment of the market. Um, you know, getting, getting to economies of scale is really hard. And so, you know, for manufacturers to tie up and share, uh, components, you know, and share the, the development costs, you know, for parts that don't, Make their vehicles, you know, distinctly different from each other, makes a lot of sense.
2: No, it does. I mean, the way that you're going to differentiate yourself isn't necessarily with your exhaust note anymore. Isn't with your powertrain technology. It's it's a different propulsion system, and and it's a different emotional experience as well. So it does. I mean, you if you can have the ability to 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 spend the money and the and the time and 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 budget on the interior on the exterior on the visual parts cuz that's at the end is what's going to count in you know 10 or 15 years when people aren't really driving as much anymore
0: there's a totally missed opportunity too where you can pipe those engine sounds in you can buy them like ringtones come on you could sell yeah. it
1: hey um actually that is not at all a missed opportunity that is that is starting to happen Porsche for example is offering Some optional different uh, sounds for the tycoon.
0: Oh, that's so Porsche. We took it away, but we'll charge you extra to put it back.
1: Oh, and boy (laughs) are they charging you extra! I think it's like five hundred bucks.
0: Oh man, that's yeah. But that and so there's that. That that's part of how you make it distinctive. But I think what we're seeing too is that we're we're at an early stage of this uh, new motor, this new print polishing technology, sort of trying to go mainstream and. Uh, just like we we had back in say the, the teens 20s and 30s with internal combustion engines you there were a lot of manufacturers that didn't build their own engines or transmissions you know they bought engines from continental uh or you know lycoming or you know some other manufacturer and they they bought other components and they assembled them you know there were a lot of assembled marks that didn't didn't make it uh past the 30s with the economic downturn um <laughs> So we're going to see a bunch of startups and a bunch of consolidation and the the, the motors and you know, propulsion technology may get shared. There may be uh, sort of independent motor companies, but then the, you'll see that consolidation start to happen. Uh, the, the companies that are going to stick around are going to stick and they, they may well turn back to making everything in-house like GM does with its own engines and and uh Ford does with its own right like and their technology is going to have its own sort of secret sauce like certainly Tesla makes its own motors and they do things differently than other motor manufacturers and they get more efficiency out of out of the way they do it um versus the way somebody else does it so I I think it'll shake out eventually we'll see in time time will tell
2: it'll just be very tumultuous in the meantime
0: (laughs) yeah
1: yeah All right. Why don't we finish up with a couple of, uh, listener, uh, questions.
0: All right. That sounds good to me. Uh, we had, we had, what did we have? We had one via email and one via uh, Twitter. So,
1: yeah. So, uh, in email the other day, we got one from, uh, Peter Fagel, uh, in Germany who asked, uh, since we live in the times with the most expensive four bangers, including hybrids ever, I have two questions. First, Am I right that the most expensive four banger base price, at least, is the Alfa Romeo 4C um, at sixty-seven thousand one hundred and fifty US dollars? And two, why is only a four-cylinder called a banger? Uh, kind regards, Peter from Bavaria in Germany. Okay, all right. So I'll I'll take the first part of that as far as the the pricing goes. Um, it's uh, it's actually uh, not the uh, the Alpha 4C. Um, it's believe it or not, uh, it's a Porsche, uh, the, uh, 17, Boxter Boxster is currently the most expensive. Um, it wasn't always, in fact, you know, fairly recently, uh, it was not even, uh, it wasn't the most expensive. It was the, um, um, the, uh, the BMW 740 E plug-in hybrid, uh, that up until 2019 had a two liter four cylinder in there. And was base price was close to one hundred thousand dollars for that one. Um, the, uh, the the Boxster, uh, let's see, the the Boxster GTS I think is the is the most expensive um, four cylinder Boxster, um, and it starts at eighty three thousand dollars for the Boxster GTS, and you can run it up well over a hundred grand for that one.
0: So, wow. I think if you were to adjust, you know, in inflation-adjusted dollars, too, I don't think this is the time of the most expensive four-cylinder engines. I think that time was well back earlier in the early part of the 20th century with some very expensive luxury brands.
1: Oh, yeah, and, and some very large displacement four-cylinder engines. <laughs>
0: yes. Um so, like, let's just keep that in perspective. Like, yes, due to inflation and v- various other factors, the actual dollar amount right now is probably higher than ever before. But in terms of percentage of income and stuff, is probably not the most expensive. Yeah,
1: that's that, that. That's true. Um. Yeah, and yeah, you know, and some of you know some of these models have actually moved away from four cylinders, like the the BMW five and seven series plug in hybrids for twenty twenty uh, have been updated with a six cylinder engine. So they're, they're, they're no longer even available in that form, but, um, you yeah, know, it's, yeah, you're, you're right. Um, you know, in, in real dollar terms over time, um, you know, they're, they probably were more expensive in the past. So you want to, you want to handle the four banger question?
0: Uh, sure. I will also point out that, while four bangers seem like, you know, the only engine that we say banger, um, people commonly call one cylinder motorcycles thumpers. So, I think, I think it's just there's a it's a, just a colloquial sort of understanding, but I think um four cylinders have that banger attached to it because they're not the most inherently smooth engine, especially an inline 4, because you've got, you know, two sets of pistons. So, at any point while it's running, uh two of them are going to be up, two of them are going to be down. That's a lot of mass and it just it makes them bounce vertically. Uh whereas you a six cylinder is very nicely balanced. There's, there's, there's more mass obviously, but the, the mass is, is better spread out. So it's just inherently balanced. So it, They don't, they don't shake like that or a four cylinder always has a little bit of a shake in it. Um, and, and so I think that that roughness is how they got that reputation. And now we're in this age of very smooth four cylinders, which we, didn't have back in the day when you know sixes and eights were a lot more common the four cylinder felt a lot more agricultural because uh it was you know that's a tractor engine <laughs> my you know my farm all cub has a nice four cylinder not not my you know my tempest or whatever um so yeah there's a the at least in an inline and in a flat four because the mass is arranged differently um i what is that a second order uh, s- yeah, it's a second
1: order imbalance.
0: S- that that's it's not there. Um, but for whatever reason, I never feel like a uh, a flat four is really any kind of more luxuriously smooth. It it has a different engine note to me, and that's about all. <laughs> I don't know. They don't feel any smoother.
1: All right. The uh, did did you have any comments on that, Rebecca?
2: I'm good. <laughs> okay.
1: All right i'll I'll let you uh field this next one from uh, from Twitter from uh, William Maley. Was there ever a news story or rumor that you first thought was a good idea, but then going the opposite direction,
0: the more you thought about it and he he offered the example of Skoda coming to the u s yeah
2: yeah i uh, you know i had i I saw this earlier and I was trying to think of them and one of the things I thought of was you know maybe naming a car after a founder's son, but that seemed like a bad idea. <laughs> Wait, that happened. Yeah, because I was like, "Oh, that didn't go so well." You know, that one time, Etzel. Um, you know, I was trying to think of them. I mean, first of all, I, I, you know, try and put out of my mind when I've been wrong. So that's one thing. <laughs> um, but I, nothing jumped out at me right away. Uh, do you guys have some?
1: I. Unfortunately, can't think of anything because most of the bad ideas usually immediately struck me as bad ideas. So <laughs> uh, I'm having a hard time coming well, so, up. With I one mean, it like, sounded think... like that seemed like a good idea at the time, and then
0: Well there's so there's there's some current ideas that tend to focus on other market products, right? Like how much have you seen people say that they really wish that Suzuki would sell the Jimny here in the U.S. and oh. that's it sounds like a great idea as an enthusiast. It's a terrible idea because it's small. It doesn't have the right power for this market. It's it's not going to feel refined enough. Um, they wouldn't clear enough sales to make it profitable. Now they would sell some for sure, especially the first year but they wouldn't sell enough in those ensuing years. And they probably wouldn't sell enough that first year to even sort of, you know, make any return on the investment. So that's a, that's a good idea. That's actually a terrible idea. That's, that's what I come up with.
1: Yeah. I, like um, I guess, you know, maybe, maybe one idea that, um, you know, has kind of soured for me over the years, you know, is, you know, some of the stuff, you know, around partially automated vehicles, you know. Oh, yeah, that's, yes. You know, when when we've, you know, when we've had, when we first got, you know, some of these, you know, things like autopilot and, you know, pilot assist and these various partially automated systems, you know, they seemed like a good idea at the time, but the more I've thought about it, the more I've used these systems, the more I realized that, yeah, no, they're not a good idea. Not at
0: all. I got one. I got one. Okay, Touch screens. Oh yes, absolutely.
2: <laughs> I was, was going to. they were a terrible idea. I was going to ask Sam how you felt <laughs> see,
1: about that at it's,
2: first. <laughs> it, it,
1: it 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 seemed like yeah, let's let's stick our tablets and our phones right on the dashboard, and, and then you know when you actually use them while you're trying to drive, you realize what a horrible idea that, yeah. that it was.
0: I just want that and, thing right over there. You hit a bump and you hit the wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah. So some would say or, or,
1: or a trackpad on the center console. Oh
2: yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> some would actually say also things you know like heads up display, which some people have a really hard time getting used to. And now that you can turn them off, you know, which is be- hugely beneficial, I think, to some people who are just not comfortable with it or they find it very distracting.
0: I, I yeah, I I suppose that people might find that distracting. God, I love a heads up
2: display. I love the heads up display.
1: I, I I love I love HUDs too. You know, once the, you get used the, to them. Uh,
0: yeah.
2: Well,
1: I mean the the main the main issue I've had with many of them over the years is you know just the way they've been executed um, with you know often being fading away if you wear polarized sunglasses. Yes. Right. Yes. That's not true. not yes. not actually being able to see them.
0: And polarized yeah, sunglasses sure. are the sunglasses you should use because they're the best. Absolutely.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: So um all right. Yeah, there's plenty of bad ideas. Those are just a few. So I I think <laughs> um this should be something that uh, now we've answered and now it's your turn, uh, listeners, to chime in with your own. We'll see what you've got.
1: All right. Yes. Sounds, like, sounds like that could be very interesting.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, so this is uh, uh, Wheelbearings Podcast 130. We've made it to uh, to 130 episodes. Uh, you know where to find us online. And uh, we'll catch everybody next week. All right. See ya. Thanks.